In this episode of Two-Eyed Seeing, we're actually going to be covering a clip of a recent webinar seminar that I delivered for one of the Indigenous communities that I have the privilege to work with. What we covered in that particular webinar was talking about postpartum mood issues, which is a big issue for so many of you out there. I know how much a lot of you moms struggle with this, worry about this even before baby is born. This is a big issue and we'll get into understanding why these things happen for us as women and what are some of the natural things that we can do in order to address them and really get to the bottom of them so that they're not creating so many issues for us. Hello, Sago, and welcome. You're listening to Two-Eyed Seeing, bridging the Western and Indigenous understanding of health, healing, and life. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Connors, naturopathic doctor and birth doula and knowledge seeker of Mohawk and European ancestry. Each week, I will be bringing you information about health and wellness from both perspectives so we can learn and grow together as we journey through life on this place we call Earth and Turtle Island. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah Connors. I'm a naturopathic doctor and birth doula. I run Saratoga Family Naturopathic. Saratoga actually roughly translates to healing waters of the great spirit. And it was actually a family effort that named my practice. And so that's how I tend to practice in in my practice as well, is I work a lot with moms and moms-to-be and families in terms of helping you to have the best possible health that you can have. And so what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be focusing a little bit more on the mental-emotional aspects of being a mom. And one of the big things that we tend to see, especially in the early parts after the baby's been born, is a lot of issues around postpartum, partum mood issues. So what we're going to be talking about a little bit more today is that we're going to be looking at what we can do from a natural perspective, because for those of you who aren't too familiar with what a naturopath is and does, is that we look at things from a more holistic perspective. So putting together the mental, emotional and um, and spiritual aspects of how we live our lives. And a lot of that is how I integrate what I do in my practice as well, is from some of our Indigenous teachings, is working those pieces together and really putting together that comprehensive plan so that we have something that works really, really well for you and ends up addressing more of those underlying issues and not just covering it over with a band-aid solution. So that's really where naturopathic medicine is a little different than maybe what you're used to experiencing in terms of medical care with, say, your family doctor or your nurse practitioner. They're excellent practitioners. We just approach things a little bit differently than how they would. So we tend to use herbs and we use more of our nutritional supports and all those kinds of things in how we do things. And this ends up putting together a really nice comprehensive plan for for the person that we're working with and really giving you that individualized specialized care that you need for your concerns and it isn't just looking at you as one as your diagnosis so you are you you're not your diagnosis and that's a different approach that we tend to take as naturopathic doctors and do things a little bit differently than what you may be used to in mainstream 
So I'm just going to get the PowerPoint up and running here so that everybody can see. And for those of you who are watching slash listening to the recording later, you will have access to the notes and the recording, so don't worry. <laughs> so you'll have all those pieces. So when we're talking about postpartum mood and balancing out your mood, one of the biggest things that we tend to look at is, well, what is normal? And normal is kind of a word that I don't use a lot because normal is relative. That's what I teach a lot of my patients is that normal is relative. And so what you experience and what the person next to you experiences isn't going to be exactly the same. And so this idea of fixating on one way of doing things doesn't make a whole lot of sense from how I practice and how I look at things. When we're talking about common symptoms or common things that we see coming up with postpartum and mood imbalance, we look at things like feeling overwhelmed, crying for what we would classify as no apparent reason, mood swings, repetitive thoughts, memory loss or changes, difficulty sleeping or insomnia, low appetite, high appetite. It can look a little bit different for every person because we experience it a little bit differently. And what I talk to a lot of the moms that I work with is that this doesn't have to be your experience. You don't have to live your life this way. A lot of us think, oh, you know, I just had a baby. I'm just, it's just the way it is. I just have to get through this. But that's the part that I want to encourage you not to think of that way. Start to think of it as if you feel off, then reach out to your supports. Talk to the program, the program coordinators at Georgian Bay Native Women's, talk to your nurse practitioner, talk to whoever you have in your circle of care that can help you with that so that you're not just leaving yourself in a position to struggle and to feel left and alone and that no one cares because people do care. We just have to also take that brave step to let someone know that we're not okay right now and we need a little bit of help and a little bit of support. And the other thing too is it's not just you. There are so many women that experience anything from mild, what we call kind of baby blues to full on postpartum depression. There's a wide range. It's not just one or the other. You can feel something in between. It's actually a spectrum. And so it, how you experience this doesn't have to look exactly identical to the mom next to you. And your experience is just as valid as the woman next to you. And so that's the other thing we tend to, as women, as moms, we tend to downplay how we feel and to invalidate our own experiences. And I want to encourage you not to do that, to really understand that how you feel is just as important as anybody else's experience. And in terms of the statistics, we know that from the 2013 um, census and, and studies that approximately 3 million Canadians will report on average some sort of anxiety or issue with mood. So that's about 70 to 80% of women who are then talking about experiencing something along the lines of at least baby blues. And it can be a lot more severe than that, as we know. And then, of course, those who actually get diagnosed as clinical postpartum depression ends up being about 10 to 20%. So that's going to be about one in seven women on average who are experiencing 
postpartum depression in that year, so that 12 month period after giving birth. And that's approx- with approximately four, this is statistics for the states, but it's not too different in, in Canada. When we have approximately 4 million live births occurring each year, that's about 600,000 postpartum depression diagnoses happening. So this is what I want you to understand from that is that you are not alone. This is a very, very common experience for most women, okay? And you are just as worthy and deserving of help as anyone else. That's the conversation I have with a lot of the moms that I work with. And so we know that there's lots of different options out there. One of the things that may be a valid um, option for you is medication and talking to your doctor slash your nurse practitioner to see if that makes sense for you. Absolutely. But the point of today and, and what I do is that it doesn't always have to be the only option. And often I work in conjunction with women as they're being medicated or if they're on medications. Many of my patients have medications and we're trained to understand what the medications are, how they interact with natural substances so that we can actually pair them together. A lot of the time people have this misconception that you have to choose between working with someone like myself as a naturopath and working with your nurse practitioner or your doctor. As far as I'm concerned, and what I tell my patients is that's not the case. You can put together your care team in the way that works best for you. So I definitely encourage, and then of course I tell my patients, you know, make sure you're telling your nurse practitioner or your doctor what we're doing so that they know as well. Because I need to know your medications just as much as they need to know what herbals and teas and things that you're using so that they can give you the most accurate um, information in terms of medication and stuff like that as well. So it goes both ways. But um, one of the things that often I find in my practice is I, because I spend more time with my patients in a one-to-one capacity, I end up giving people the information that they're either missing or was not communicated or just they've forgotten because there was a lot happening all at once. So there's a lot of education that I end up doing in my office around the side effects and the potential things to watch out for when it comes to medication. And of course, when we're talking about mood and, you know, on the spectrum of clinical depression, the most common medications that are prescribed are antidepressants. So some of the things to look out for If you are using an antidepressant or you have been prescribed an antidepressant, then you want to watch out for things like drowsiness and fatigue, nausea, uh, sexual dysfunction. So feeling I usually it's low libido. So you just have no desire. Um, There's some cases where actually women do notice an uptake in um, in desire, but usually it's you just do not feel like you want to actually engage in sex at all. And then uh, weight gain. And in some cases, this is a very small subset usually but it is something to be aware of is that some for some women one of the potential side effects is that we can see an increased risk of of suicide so these are all things to be 
paying attention to if you're noticing that these symptoms come on with the start of a new medication or if you're noticing it with a change of dose. Make sure you're talking to your doctor. Make sure you're talking to your nurse practitioner if you're experiencing these symptoms because you may need to either address changing the dosage of your medication or they may potentially need to look at a different medication option for you. So just make sure that you have this kind of in your back pocket so that you know to ask questions of your nurse practitioner slash doctor when you're talking about medication and your medications. So that's usually I try to have a little bit of a conversation around that. We don't prescribe medications and we can't change the prescription on your medication. That has to be your prescribing doctor um, that does that piece for you. But usually what I, like I said, what I end up doing is talking to people like maybe this is something to talk to them about. Maybe you need to look at the dose. You need to look at the type, all those things. Maybe they need to be looked at and addressed. And then what we can do from working with me is look at the pieces where we can address your nutrition and we can address maybe some herbal supplements or other things that we can do in support of your medication because I have a number of patients that are on medication and we can definitely do that in a safe way that keeps you supported. So we talked a little bit about, you know, some of those supports being nutrition, lifestyle factors, so making sure that you are keeping active as much as possible. Yes, I totally understand that when you have a new baby at home, and especially if you're adding baby to other children, so we now have, you know, two or three or more, that can get really hectic <laughs> and really busy. And so, of course, some of these things are typically the first things we kind of put to the side. But what I really encourage you, especially if you're noticing issues with your own mood, is we want to make sure that you're not sidestepping your own care because what ends up happening when you give and give and give and give and don't do a little bit to take care of yourself, you can't show up as the mom you want to show up as for your kids. So you can only give from a low, I talk about a cup in terms of the the how that works for energy and the things we can give. You can't give from an empty cup. You just can't. Whereas if your cup is filled and overflowing, you can generously give from the overflow from your cup. But if you're continuing to give and give and give and not refill your cup, then what ends up happening is you become depleted and exhausted and run down. And then we have this perfect potential for you to become really stressed out and depressed and other things that we don't want to have happen for you because your your state of being is just as important as the state of being of your kids and your state of being being compromised is not going to allow you to provide the care and the life you want for your kids because they pick up on everything they are completely in tune with you and your energies. And so if you yourself are completely depleted, they pick up on that. They, they're going to notice that. So this is, this is taking care of yourself is also taking care of them because you can show up as the mom you want to be, okay? So we know that there's a lot of different things that can contribute and we won't be able to go in depth on all of them today because <laughs> they're each kind of area could be an entire probably at least 
half an hour to an hour on its own. But we'll touch on some of these things so you can start to think about them and start to assess where they may be applicable in your own world. So we've got things like nutrition, stress, sleep, looking at the environment around us. So what is what is our household like? What is our family life like? I know it's really tricky right now with COVID going on. We all feel very kind of cut off and isolated. But what are some of the things we can do to engage in uh, asking for help? And then of course, gut health and hormones and a little bit of our genetics and where you know our predisposition comes from. <laughs> so genetics can have a, an impact there as well. So we know when it comes to nutrition that if we don't eat the right foods, then we're not going to feel well. That's going to have a domino effect in terms of affecting our blood sugar levels, and that can significantly affect our mood. So if our blood sugar levels are going up and down and all over the place, that's going to have a huge impact on our mood. And then, of course, we continue to eat things that I either eat things or not eat, that's another issue, and that's going to further cause our blood sugar balances to go out of whack. And when we looked at it, there was a 2008 study where they actually binge fed rats um, and then fasted them to check what their blood sugar levels did, and they were actually shown to display more symptoms of anxiety when they did this. And then they also um, fed them sucrose and compared that to high antioxidant honey. And they were actually more likely to suffer from anxiety with the sucrose as well. So basically, yes, it's an animal model. But what we can infer from that is that we're, we're very much the same. And they've done some studies to show that when we're eating high sugar diets, that actually has an impact on our mood as well. If those of you are listening to the recording and you're not necessarily looking at the slides right now, I just have a little um, a little graph about what blood sugar balance looks like. So what it looks like is it kind of looks like these pit, um, mountains and valleys. And so what happens when we're eating high sugar, high highly processed foods, a lot of the time our blood sugar jumps up, so it's high. And then it goes down. And what ends up happening when we're doing this roller coaster is that's what it can really affect our mood. And we know that that has potential impact for diabetes and our risk for diabetes when our blood sugar is out of whack a lot of the time. But how that also impacts our mood is that we constantly go through this ebb and flow feeling energetic and like we can do things and then feeling worse than when we started when we're constantly eating sugar, um, high sugar things and things that turn into sugar very quickly. And it becomes this roller coaster where we're feeling good temporarily and then we feel worse. And that's going to increase our feelings of anxiety and low mood over the long run because we're doing this up and down. Whereas if we're more balanced and that comes with eating things that are healthy fat, a good amount of protein and plenty of fiber, more often than not, what ends up happening is it becomes more of a gentle wave because the blood sugar levels are more balanced. So that's when we eat things like, you know, instead of having, say, granola bar or high sugar cereal for breakfast, we add in, say, like an egg or, you know, starting to make some of those small changes where we can add in healthy fat, protein, and fiber with 
preferably all of our meals, but at least most of our meals, because then we get that nice gentle wave in terms of the blood sugar balance and how that works. And then of course, what that also can feed into, and actually these two feed into each other, is stress and then the main hormone that's involved in stress, which is called cortisol. So when we experience too much stress too often, the body is going to overproduce cortisol. And what that can actually end up doing is the overproduction of cortisol can throw off our blood sugar. Our blood sugar levels can also throw off the cortisol. And it becomes this really unfortunate feedback loop where we're constantly feeling out of, out of sorts because we're stressed out, our sugar is off, the sugar is off, drives the stress, and it just becomes out of control in a lot of cases when it's perpetuated over a long period of time. And then, of course, there's also the long-term effects of having high cortisol, high stress, which really does wear down on the body in terms of making us more sick because our immune system's depleted. And then, of course, the wear and tear on our body because cortisol is constantly high. So we have things like blood pressure. All these things in our body are being pushed further out of whack when we're not doing the things that we need to do to bring them back into balance, right? So these are some of the things that we can look at. Um, again, for those of you who aren't necessarily looking at the slides right now, if you're just listening, I have another little graph about what a typical cortisol curve should look like. Now, the, the picture is, is very idealized. So this is what we would call kind of a textbook uh, situation. But what we should see for a healthy cortisol curve slash what's what we also call circadian rhythm. So that's the rhythm that your body goes through over the course of the day is that we should see that nice spike first thing in the morning in around what we, we typically call breakfast time. And then we have a smaller peak in about mid-afternoon and then another one around dinner-ish time. So that's looking at, you know, that kind of mid-afternoon and then early evening time. What ends up happening with cortisol being high over time is these curves can actually get swapped. And this is where people start to talk about, I feel wired and awake at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, and I feel exhausted around three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon. That can be an indicator that we're starting to get this switch where cortisol is actually switching itself around and we're seeing peaks where we should see valleys and it becomes much, much more of a complicated mess essentially is what we're looking at there so in terms of how the body's working it's releasing the cortisol from the adrenal cortex so it's this funny little organ that sits on top of the kidney and there's two of them one for each kidney that's what's pumping out the cortisol and affecting your brain so the specific parts of the brain that are actually releasing those associated hormones causing this negative feedback loop are coming from your anterior pituitary and your hypothalamus because what ends up happening is it creates this feedback loop which again further drives your cortisol and your stress out of out of uh, out of balance so it's all these things that we're trying to keep a handle on so that you don't end up having any issues with this 
Um, so that's where we really want to keep your stress as much as we can. We want to do some stress management and we'll talk about those pieces. This is just to help you understand what's going on in your body so you can understand why this is so important that we don't just say, oh yeah, you know, we know stress isn't, isn't good for us. And then that's where the conversation ends. It's like, this is why stress is so important to pay attention to. And this is why it's so important to do some things for yourself every day that help to bring your stress levels down and more under control. So the other piece that I always like to talk about that a lot of people don't necessarily think about in terms of mood all the time is what's going on in your gut. What the heck does the gut have to do with your mood anyway? Well, it actually has a lot to do with your mood. Because whether you have a good mix of bacteria growing in your, in your gut, which we often call the microbiome, so that's the ecosystem of the gut, um, then we're talking about that being more in balance when we have a healthy microbiome. So we have more quote-unquote good bacteria living and colonizing the gut than bad bacteria. Good and bad is very relative when it comes to this, but there are definitely some strains we want to make sure there's lots of and others we don't want to have many or any of. Um, so why this is so important is we've now identified through research that the intestinal bacteria that you have in majority actually has an impact on levels of anxiety and depression. And so they've actually given, this is the, the ones I have listed on the slider, the, the animal studies again, but then they've also done it with healthy humans as well, where they gave them a probiotic and they had them take a little questionnaire. There we go. They had them take the main questionnaire that they use. It's usually the Beck or something similar to rate their, their symptoms and how they were feeling before taking the probiotic and then had them do it again after they took the probiotic. And they actually scored an improve, improvement in their depression and their anxiety levels after taking the probiotic. And that was the only thing that they changed. So there's clearly a connection between our brain and our gut and what's happening. So what this also shows us is it's not just taking a probiotic. It's also what we do to feed the good bacteria in our gut. So that's another really re important reason why our nutrition and what we eat is so important. Because when we eat enough fiber, then we actually feed the good bacteria. When we're careful about how much sugar we have, this actually helps to, again, feed the good bacteria. Because when we have these cravings for sugar, sometimes what part of that is, is it's the bacteria that we don't actually want growing in our gut that's driving that. Because highly processed foods, sugars, and all that kind of thing, that's what the bad bacteria craves. So it tells your body to feed it more because that's going to help them to grow. Whereas if we feed our body the good foods that creator gave us, then that's when we actually feed our body and nourish our body and the good bacteria start to grow and proliferate. And as we do that more often, you actually start to switch 
to craving the good food. You actually want to nourish your body because the good bacteria that's proliferating and growing in your gut is saying, feed me. <laughs> that's actually all a prebiotic is as well. There's a lot of talk about prebiotics and probiotics right now. And it's not to say that there aren't situations where a prebiotic makes a lot of sense, but for the average healthy person, it just means you need to get more fiber in because most of us do not consume enough fiber on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's a really interesting connection between gut and brain health, which I think is really, really cool. Another piece that we tend to kind of know about, but maybe not fully, is the hormones that are going on in the body. So we know that our hormones are changing and, and moving all over the place, especially right after baby is born. And if you're breastfeeding as well, which, um, you know, there's all sorts of good things about breastfeeding. And I'm not trying to say that there's not a reason to breastfeed. If that's what you're able to do, that's what works for you. Um, all those kinds of great things about breastfeeding. But the other thing to keep in mind with your mood and your hormones is that it's going to keep your hormones a little bit out of balance for a little bit longer. And that's why we talk about kind of that year to two year period after baby is born when your hormones are still returning to normal because breastfeeding still has an impact on your hormones as well. And again, for those of you who don't happen to have the slides in front of you right now, there's just another little, um, I just have another little idealized graph there so you can see what's happening in terms of a typical hormonal cycle where we have that proliferative phase, which is your follicular phase, and when estrogen is kind of climbing upwards, and then we have ovulation happening about halfway through um, in a typical healthy cycle where we have LH and FSH spiking to release the egg, and then we have that secretory or that progesterone predominant phase in the latter half when things are starting to kind of come down and that's when we would have our, our period, when that's, when that's typically happening. And of course, um, we know it can take anywhere between, on average, three and, and six months for your period to kind of reappear after birth, sometimes longer if you're breastfeeding. And then, of course, regularity can take a little bit longer even than that to kind of reestablish itself. So in terms of estrogen, we kind of talked about that a little bit. It's usually most dominant in the first half of the cycle and helps to produce that healthy uterine lining and ensures the maturation and release of the egg itself. And then we have progesterone on the second half where it's helping to maintain that healthy lining so that we can have, if we were to become pregnant, a healthy place for the fetus to connect to and to grow. And that's what's, you know, what, what we see in terms of shedding and, and what's shed when we have a period that's what's actually where the body's releasing if there were not to be pregnancy at that time and so one of the other big things that tends that we tend to look at in terms of either during pregnancy or in early postpartum is the balance that's going on in your thyroid so if you've had thyroid issues either before or you're suspecting that you might have some thyroid issues that's a good thing to get checked out because Women, we're much more likely to have thyroid issues and the times that we're more likely to see them pop up is around the times when we have big hormonal shifts. So that's the start of our cycle, that's around a pregnancy and just after a pregnancy and in our menopausal years. 
So this is another thing that can really throw off our balance and that could be contributing to some of the mood dysfunction that you're experiencing. So that's another really important one to talk to your doctor about if you think that this may be part of what's going on for you. And we can talk about that a little bit more if people have questions and stuff like that. So what we're talking about here is trying to get estrogen and progesterone back in balance as best as possible. Because after having a baby, it is out of balance. That's just naturally what happens. It's not that you did anything wrong. It's not your fault. This is just simple physiology and biology. That's all it is. And chances are for most of us, our hormones were out of balance even before we became pregnant. And you may not have known it because you just thought it was normal or you weren't talking to your healthcare provider about it. So if you were already out of balance, pregnancy is going to push you further out of balance. So again, these are things that are very normal and happen and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. So things that we can watch out for in terms of hormone imbalances are things like decreased sex drive. If you have an irregular or an abnormal menstrual period, if you have headaches or mood swings, cold hands and feet, hair loss, PMS, fatigue, foggy thinking, memory loss, right? We see, you see how this all ties together. It's very, very similar to the symptoms we talked about before. So all of these things can feed into each other and push each other in a further um, imbalanced direction. So the reason I mention all those things is to help you understand that it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's that there's an imbalance present within your body and we just need to get you back into balance so you can start to feel like yourself again. So you can start to reclaim your your health and to reclaim your you feeling more balanced and like yourself and getting back to what you feel is normal for you in terms of how you feel. So one of the big things we kind of touched on this already is how you eat every day. It's a huge, huge, huge component of what you can do in terms of helping to balance out your diet or sorry, balance out your mood is with your diet. So we've talked about whole foods, trying to get as many fruits and vegetables as possible in more often than not, making sure that we're eating adequate protein and healthy fats. These are so, so important because when we get enough fiber, when we get really nutrient-rich types of food, that helps to take care of a lot of these problems. It's feeding good bacteria so they're growing and sending the right kinds of signals to your brain. We're balancing out your hormones because you're getting the foods that your hormones need to be produced in proper quantities. We're getting a better balance of your blood sugar levels. You can see how this is really dominoing in the right direction when we start to do something like this. And nutrition is honestly the foundation of good health. If we're not eating well, more often than not, that's going to be a really uphill battle in terms of anything else we try to do in terms of making ourselves feel better and get into a better place in terms of our health. Um, lifestyle things we can do, things we can do on a daily basis. Yes, of course, some of these, unfortunately, we can't do as easily right now with COVID, but we can talk to a friend on the phone. We can do a video call. We can do other ways of connecting with the, 
our friends and our family so that we feel that we're connected as much as possible. Trying to get as much rest as you can. If you feel like you're not sleeping enough and you're not resting enough, that is going to seriously throw off your mood. And the more you wear away at your sleep and your rest, the more you're going to feel out of balance in terms of your mood. Do your best to connect with other new moms. You're all going through the same thing. You can share your stories. You can share your wins and those hard points. That's that's what these types of groups are so great for, is feeling supported and that you're not alone. So really try to connect with these resources as best as you can. Where you can ask for help and accept help, do that. Don't be afraid to ask your partner to ask um, you know, if you do have older children in the home that are able to help out a little bit, if you have, you know, a, a parent or or someone else that can come into your home to help you out a little bit. These are the things that we're talking about when it t- comes to creating that kind of self-care routine where you actually take care of yourself. And yes, we can do things like, you know, running yourself a bath or whatever those kinds of things look like to help decrease your stress. But it's not the only thing you can do. There's so many other things you can do. And what looks like self-care for you could look completely different to someone else. So perhaps it's going out for a walk and being out in nature because we know that when we're around trees, when we're around nature, when we actually take the time to put our bare feet in the grass, that actually helps to ground us. That actually sends the ions from the earth into our body so that we can start to, again, bring that cortisol and bring that stress down. There's all manner of things that we can do that doesn't just have to be running a bath. Another one that I often talk to my patients about is even something as simple as taking five to 10 deep breaths to help to bring your stress levels down. Because what that does is that actually engages your vagus nerve, which is one of those main switch points in the body to take you from stressed, which is what we call the sympathetic response, over to not stressed. So that's your parasympathetic response. And within five to 10 deep breaths, so we want to really engage your belly, really breathe deep. We don't want to just be breathing up top in in the top of our lungs because that's what we usually end up doing when we're anxious and stressed. We, We do this really shallow top of our lungs breathing. You want to actually put your hand on your belly or even put one hand on your lower abdomen and then one hand right above it and feel your belly actually expand fully and go down fully and do that five to 10 deep breaths. You can do more. This is, this is basically meditation. <laughs> and, but it doesn't have to be you sitting on a cushion and you know all the perfect things happening in your world and you meditate for half an hour. No, <laughs> that's not gonna be realistic for most of you, especially as new moms. Even if you can only do either as little as five to 10 deep breaths, or if you can steal another minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you can steal. If you have to lock yourself up in the bathroom for five minutes, do it. (laughs) These are all the little things you can do to help you. 
right? So these are things that you can start to incorporate into your own self-care routine and what that looks like in terms of helping to bring your stress levels down, right? If you have access to essential oils, that's another really good one you can do. A little bit of lavender or something like that can be really, really helpful to help to boost your mood and just to help you feel a little bit better, okay? So there's all kinds of things that we can do. Now, obviously, yes, I really highly recommend for herbs that you talk to someone who knows what they're doing. Don't just guess, <laughs> especially if you happen to have a medication. Um, the, the one that I always bring up for that very reason is St. John's wort. St. John's wort or Hypericum perforatum is an excellent herb for helping with mood and mood imbalances. However, unfortunately, it interacts with pretty much every single medication there is. Um, it's just kind of how it works in the body, unfortunately. So if you do happen to be taking medication, I the reason I bring up St. John's wort is so that you do not use it in conjunction with your medications. Some of the other ones that we can often use in conjunction with medication, again, please do talk to a naturopath or an herbalist or someone else who's knowledgeable about these things before you start taking them or using them. But things that you can consider are things like ashwagandha. You can also consider lemon balm and passion flower. There's lots of other herbs that can be helpful in terms of stress and decompressing in terms of your stress. But these are just some of them that you can potentially look at and consider. And actually the lemon balm and the passion flower, for example, are really nice, easy ones to make a tea out of. So this is another thing we can do in terms of self-care is create a bit of a tea ritual, either around bedtime if the baby's already gone down, or maybe that's an afternoon thing you do for yourself. And just carving out five or 10 minutes to have a cup of tea, sitting on the couch and relaxing and really trying to engage your muscles in literally just relaxing. So another technique that I often talk about is what's called progressive muscle relaxation. So you can literally sit in a chair, lie on your bed, whatever you do, and go from head to toe or toe to head, whichever you prefer. I tend to like to go to head to toe in terms of how I think about it. And I think about, I think about and physically do scrunch up my muscles and think about tightening them up, tightening them up, tightening them up, and then letting go. And thinking about each progressive muscle group relaxing as I go. So I think about my head and my forehead first, and then maybe the face muscles, and then the neck, and then the shoulders. And half the time, I don't even necessarily make it all the way, especially if I'm doing it before bed. Sometimes I'll fall asleep before I even get to my toes <laughs> because of doing the progressive muscle relaxation. But this is something else you can do any time of the day to help you relax a little bit. I know sometimes that's a bit harder to navigate, especially if we have a couple kids in the house. So sometimes this is better left for helping us to fall asleep at night, but it's another tool that we can potentially use. And if you have say like your tea and then go and have your progressive muscle relaxation time, that's a really nice combo that you can potentially do to help to bring down your stress and to help to elevate, elevate your mood a little bit. Um, I use homeopathic remedies in my practice. So if you're not familiar with what a homeopathic remedy is, it looks like a little tube and it's got all these little sugar pellets in it. 
and each one is a different remedy. So I use this in my practice because I find it's a really, really effective form of therapy. Not everybody is familiar with homeopathics. So again, definitely ask around, ask someone who knows what they're doing in terms of homeopathics so that you can get some assistance with that if you're thinking of using them. But they can be a very, very effective form of therapy. Other ones that I like to mention that are really easy and usually you can get access to them easily is vitamin D. Vitamin D is um, such an important vitamin and most of us are either slightly too significantly deficient in it. So it has an impact on our mood, it has an impact on our immune system, on our hormones. There's all kinds of parts of the body that vitamin D has an impact on. So either getting your levels tested so that you know what your levels are, so you can take enough vitamin D to actually um, make sure you're, you have enough, or even just to start kind of getting it in and then at some point in the near future get it tested because unfortunately the only way we know if you're low in vitamin d is if you get your levels tested so you just have to talk to your doctor um, or nurse practitioner about getting your levels tested typically right now to my knowledge unless you have a certain list of health conditions it is there is a little bit of cost unless you happen to be covered but it's usually fairly low in terms of the cost to get your levels tested and the lab slash OHIP will cover some of it it's just there'll be a little bit I think the last time a patient told me they paid about $20 I want to say maybe 20 is definitely less than $30 that they had to pay out of pocket to get their vitamin D levels tested so it's it's important enough to consider it for sure Omega-3s are another really, really big one. So this is something I encourage all my moms to take through pregnancy because there's so many benefits to omega-3s in terms of baby's brain and your growing baby and you as well. And we've actually seen through the research that when you have omega-3s as part of your diet slash your supplement regimen, before the baby is born and even after it's it's still effective whether you do it before or after but i try and encourage my moms when they're still pregnant to to have the omega-3s in there because we've seen through the research that it actually helps to reduce your risk for postpartum depression and helps to elevate your mood so it's a bit of both so it's a really, really important one if you don't really eat much in the way of fish. And in North America, a lot of us don't eat much in the way of fish. And of course, a lot of us, we don't eat the traditional diets that we used to eat, where we would get more fish on a regular basis because it was part of what we ate in terms of our hunting and gathering. So it's something definitely to consider supplementing with because typically, especially with unfortunately us not doing the best job taking care of mother nature is a lot of our fish supply has heavy metals in it um, that's something we can't fully get away from anymore and therefore eating too much fish in your diet is even sometimes problematic so it's one of those ones that in most cases it's going to be easier and safer to to supplement with it if that's if that's possible then we have 5-HTP. So what 5-HTP is actually helping to produce serotonin in the brain. So that's how it's actively helping to balance. Now, again, with a lot of the other things, and this is another one, if you're taking medication, make sure you're talking to your doctor before you're adding in 5-HTP because they're acting similarly in how they act in the body. 
So just make sure that you're not adding in 5-HTP without knowing what you're doing. And then the other one too is make sure that you, if you do end up taking it, have it as either an enteric coated capsule or, and, or I would highly recommend both actually taking it with food because one of the common side effects with 5-HTP for a lot of people is nausea. And so that can be, we can avoid that by making sure we have enteric coated and with a meal. Uh, usually that takes care of that pretty quickly. And then GABA is another really good one that's helpful in terms of calming down the nervous system, bringing stress down, and then by um, extension, it's helping to balance out the mood a little bit more. Another thing I often talk about, because this is something that I do in my practice quite a bit, is Chinese medicine using acupuncture. Um, really effective form of therapy. If you're not familiar with it, if you have the ability to connect with someone who does acupuncture, sometimes this can be a really, really helpful tool because it actually helps to, again, balance out the body and balance out the hormones in such a way that we're helping to bring the mood back into balance. And this is something I use with my practice and my patients all the time. Like a large percentage of what I do is, is acupuncture. And it's a very, very, very effective form of therapy and really helps to balance a lot of these things out. So I just like to mention it if that's something that you're interested in, you have access to all those kinds of things. That's all we have for this week on Two-Eyed Seeing. I hope you were able to get some good tips out of this in terms of how you can start to help to boost your mood. As I have mentioned on previous episodes, if you have questions about any of this material or you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more on the podcast, please do connect with me and let me know what those are. Other than that, I will wrap things up for this week and we will see you next time. Bama pee. Thank you, Nyawa, for listening to Two-Eyed Seeing. Leave me a comment and if you feel called to, please leave a review at iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. If you have questions about the episode or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me at www.sarahconnorsnd.com.